This is The Waiting Room, the podcast where covetous marketeer Dara Maluli chats to key opinion leaders in the veterinary world and beyond. Join us as we discover why you deserve the best practice and why they deserve the best care. Guys, a quick introduction to today's guest. Bryony Cullen joins us here in our Glasgow studio in LP Records. Bryony is a freelance digital marketeer and SEO strategist who works with indie businesses from all around the world. Bryony, welcome to The Waiting Room. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very very excited to be here. Where is, you're not from Glasgow. No, that's true. I'm from Australia. Uh, I consider myself to be Scots-Australian, so Scottish-Australian. I don't think that's really a, a real thing, but I made it up. Um, so I'm from Melbourne originally, but came to live in Glasgow about 10 years ago now. So Glasgow is my second home. Okay. Did you fall in love with the Scotsman by any chance? I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was traveling in Japan in 2009, met a lovely Scottish man called Graham, fell in love, got married, all of that. We're happily married. Eight, we've been married for eight years, been together for 10 years, and now we have a beautiful little... Poppy called Joffrey. Well, he's he's nearly three, so okay. not a poppy, but ten years is a, a nice spell of time. What do you have any secrets to a happy relationship? Get a dog. Get a dog. <laughs> We've got two. <laughs> Dogs fixing bad relationships since nineteen eighty seven. Our relationship was always amazing. Um, but I think having a dog, it's like I think it is actually a really nice thing to do together. Like it really, yeah. like you know, it's like your little your little person and um, yeah it's been lots of fun having a dog the first year the puppy the first puppy year that was hard mm. but once once you survive that then it's fine <laughs> they're, they're, they're difficult yeah aren't they yeah. yeah the pooping is just yeah I just can't <laughs> I can't um, so Brian we kick off every podcast with um, with our little five word game which I haven't really decided what the name of it is yet yeah but maybe like gimme five. Oh yeah. Give me five. Yeah, give me five. Yeah, yeah okay. Works. So what is what are your five words that best describe you? Well, I wasn't really sure, so I decided to ask my friends over on Twitter. My favorite answer that I got was not bad for an Australian, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> and then really the words fell into two categories. So people said sweet, caring, supportive, organized, passionate. And then people said badass, sassy, and takes no shit. Ooh. So I think it's depending on which brownie you meet on which day. <laughs> they are some, there's some good balanced words. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm liking those. I'm liking yep. those. Um, so talk to me a little bit about your, like your background, where you grew up in Australia. Yeah. Did you always have a love of marketing or how did that work? Talk to us about that. Yeah, so um, I'm from Melbourne in Australia originally. And actually, when I was a student, I really, really wanted to be a lawyer. Uh, So I initially trained to be a conveyancing clerk or legal secretary slash paralegal. And I also was studying my law degree while I was working. Um, So I was, you know, had my heart set on becoming a lawyer, which I did in Australia. Um, and so that was great, but then I fell in love with this Scottish man that we've just been talking about Mm -hmm. and packed up my life and moved to the other side of the world. And actually as an Australian, I'm not eligible to practice law in Scotland. 
Uh, so I either had the choice of going through the whole requalification process, which was essentially a law degree, a traineeship and everything again. Sure. Whereas I'd just finished, you know, so I was like, oh, I'm not totally sure that I want to go through that all again to learn Scots law. Uh, so I kind of started doing a few little projects and they kind of all culminated in where I am now. I started my own business, which at the time was called Briny Buys UK. And in Australia, you couldn't buy from Zara and H&M and other UK shops like that. Mm -hmm. They didn't ship to Australia. They didn't have stores in Australia. Okay. So people would buy them, buy the clothes and get them sent to my house. And then I would package them up and send them to Australia. Okay. <laughs> so they, cool. were they were paying me like a small fee of like five pounds per parcel. Mm. So that was actually like a fun thing that I did for a couple of years as like a little side project. I also started a food blog writing about food and drink in Glasgow. And then eventually I became a, it just sounds like it just happened one day, but I started working at the university in Paisley as a lecturer. So I was teaching students. So I was teaching them law. I couldn't practice law, but I could teach them law. That's weird, isn't it? Yes, it is very weird. Okay. I designed a module so the students could learn practical legal skills. So how to interview a client, how to research, how to write a letter and all of those kinds of things. And then after that, um, I completely changed careers and started and moved into marketing. So what I'd learned from doing the business that I had and from having a food blog, I took that and became Yelp's community manager for Glasgow. Um, so at the time, Yelp were a really big tech company. They had this great app. Um, and I saw that as a really great opportunity to kind of try something completely different um, from what I'd been doing in terms of teaching and lecturing. And that was a really, really fun job. So I learned so much about marketing, but most of it was meeting people and running events. And it was just brilliant. It was like a really, really fun job. Lots of trips around the world, lots of delicious food. Nice. <laughs> it was one of those kind of once in a lifetime experiences. Yeah. Um, How long did you work for you up? So I worked for them for three and a half years and they eventually decided that their um, business model wasn't working outside of America and Canada. So they closed down their international operations, which meant that the community management team and some of the teams in Dublin and other places were made redundant. Okay. So for me, actually, it was probably quite a good time because I felt like I'd been doing that job for three and a half years and it was really a lifestyle job in that my entire life was that job. Yeah. It wasn't something you did nine to five. Like we were doing social events in the evening and on the weekend. So for me, actually, the timing was quite good because I had been thinking about going into freelance. Going back to the, the lifestyle job, that's really, really tricky to navigate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really, really hard. I think just the all-consuming side of it was really, really full on. Um, and it was great. Like, I, it makes me sound like a bit of a diva complaining about, oh, I had to travel and I had Poor to eat. Poor me. Poor me. I had to go to parties and events. <laughs> but when that is your entire life, it's like you didn't switch off from it like mm. ever. Yeah. And so kind of we all got this phone call one day and were made redundant and it was just like this feeling of like whoosh, like 
just all your responsibilities and all the thoughts she had were all gone. That's and in some way, well, some ways it was liberating, and other and ways it, it was terrifying. Yeah, yeah your that's, world just get tipped upside down. That's insane. Yeah, but it's always at those moments when they're the, the best times, like when everything's in flux and everything's changing yeah. and stuff like that. Yep. With similarly with our vets, I've spoken to a lot of vets and. They have that issue as well, I feel like, because when you're in that kind of a job, like a caring profession, it's mm. really hard to switch off. Mm. There's a guy, and he's, oh, I can't remember the name of the TV show, but it's something to do with like vets and pets and stuff like that. But I think he actually like sleeps in his practice. Like, oh my he's, gosh. He's just c- completely consumed. Yeah, yeah. He can't hold down a relationship yeah. because he sleeps in his practice, obviously, yeah. his girlfriends <laughs> it's or whatever. It's not very romantic. <laughs> it's not very romantic. <laughs> Sleeping beside Buster every night. But that's, it is, it's all consuming. Yeah. Same with like blogging, that whole kind of world. Yeah. So start talking about SEO and the whole mm. like marketing yeah. world. Um, why, are you, why are you such a, a nerd? As you said on your website, you call yourself like an SEO and marketing nerd. What, yeah. Why is that? I think because I've had a few careers in the past, I think kind of for me what I'm doing at the moment is the culmination of all the things that I genuinely really enjoy. When I talk to people about SEO, people, other people who do it or people who have had experience of it, most of them don't like it and they see it as either terrifying, scary, um, boring, overwhelming and all of those things. Whereas for me, I don't know, something about something about it just really ticks all my boxes. Mm. I like spreadsheets. I like being methodical about things. I like a strategic approach to what I'm doing. But most of all, I like working and then seeing results from that work. And I think for me, that's why I find it really fulfilling mm. is you do some things and that results in more traffic or more sales. And I think when for me, working as a freelance digital marketer with my clients, I love being able to sit down with them and say, you have now made X amount more money than you would have because of this. And I think that makes my life really easy in terms of I'm asking people to pay me monthly retainers or whatever. If they're getting results from it, then they're happy and I'm happy. Everyone's happy. happy. (laughs) What are some of the, you said people are scared about SEO or people are just a little bit off put by it. Like what what is it about it that, that scares people? So if you Google SEO and if you Google like wanting to learn SEO, I think it's really overwhelming the amount of information that's out there and there isn't really a structured way of learning it. But that's where I have to give a plug for how I learned SEO was I did do a course which is based in Australia, but I did it online and it's uh, called The Recipe for SEO Success. So Kate Toon has an e-course and essentially the e-course is actually targeted at people who are business owners themselves and want to kind of grapple it and deal with it themselves. So I did that course. Um, It's a really comprehensive course and takes you through the whole process of, okay, what is SEO? How does it work? What are the foundation things you need to know? Um, And so I found that incredibly valuable and that's really, you know, been a huge um, bonus for me in terms of upskilling myself as a marketer um, and being able to help my clients with SEO. Who was like your first, who was your first client? And was it like kind of scary when you got your first client and you had to, when you were being so, res- or had to be so results driven? What was that like? Yeah, so I think, well, initially as a freelancer, I was doing social media mm. um, and I did find that quite frustrating in terms of the disconnect between 
oh, well, you got an extra 100 likes on your Facebook page this month, but what does that actually mean to your business? So then when I started out actually offering SEO as a service to my clients, you know, I had told them, like, I've just learned this, like, so we're going to just see how it goes. Um, And, you know, I had also been doing it on my own food blog and my business website. And so I think that kind of experimental approach of going, okay, here's what's working for, say, a fitnessy kind of business, and then, you know, an e-commerce business, and then my blog is a food blog, and then my my business website is a services website. Mm-hmm. So kind of having that, you know, pool of experiment, experimenting, was a really, really good experience for me of being like, okay, I can see that if I do something, I can expect results in this amount of time um, and kind of, you know, work out how to explain that to clients, set their expectations and all of that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was a really great learning experience in those first few months. Okay. So would you say you can be more strategic with SEO than social media? I think so, but it might just be... Um, that I kind of fell out of love with social media. I think if you don't have kind of a paid component to your social media activities, you're really going to struggle um, getting any kind of results. You know, for me, I love I love working on a business where um, you can really see the numbers in terms of pound signs at the end of the month. I think um, social media, you're not going to have that relationship. Chatting to somebody yesterday, one of my colleagues, Ecovetris, and he was saying that Instagram are apparently beta testing or there's just rumours about they're going to have this like no follower version of Instagram. Oh, so they're talking about having um, on on uh, the feed. So when you're looking through your feed, you won't see how many likes a photo has got on it. Only the person who posted it will see how many likes they have on their photo. And it's trying to kind of tap into that. There's a lot of influencers and people out there that feel very, like, beholden to Instagram's algorithm and kind of panicking. Oh, this photo didn't get as many likes as my previous photo. And I think Instagram has seen that that is actually having a real effect on people's mental health as well as their businesses and all of this kind of thing and I think maybe they see that as a way of kind of solving that problem if, if you take away the number then people won't be so kind of caught up in that that's it but from the other side of things if you're a business working with an influencer yeah. you're still going to want to know what that number was you are indeed yeah so um, I don't really think it's a fix did you ever I suppose going back again to the lifestyle business and on social with Glasgow Food or mm. my blog or whatever I feel like you're constantly in touch with, you know, how many likes have I getting, how many mm. followers do I have, what, how am I growing each yeah. day, each week, each month? It's really hard to switch that off. And did you yeah. ever find that that affected your mental health? Personally, for me, no, because I actually don't really, I don't care about the numbers side of things. Yep. If I post a picture on Instagram, I'm much more interested in having a conversation with people. I don't really post on Instagram that much, actually, for my food blog um, I'm, I kind of focus more on the conversation side of things. I don't really worry about numbers because I don't think it translates to anything. I think if you looked at my following on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, 
that has no relationship to how busy I am with my work. So it kind to me, it doesn't really mean anything. I'd be much more interested in, you know, maybe people signing up to my mailing list or, or things like that, where I can actually get to know the people who are following me. I think we've all been tricked into this idea of having 50,000 followers is going to bring you some kind of magical reward or is it won't? I'm telling you right now, there's no magical reward. Well, I wouldn't know. I don't have 50,000 followers. Like, if you, and if you stop thinking about those vanity metrics and if yeah. you actually focus on having a good conversation, trying mm. to add value to people's lives through your content, yeah. that is when you start to see that return on investment. Exactly. So it kind of works exactly. the opposite yeah. way. Yeah. I think social media is a great way of getting to know people, of showing the personal <clears throat> side of your business, of telling stories like in the previous podcast episode um, and all of those things. I think if you're sitting there aiming for 10,000 followers, like it's not going to be the day that all of a sudden your bank account has 10 million pounds in it. It's not, it's not got that relationship. So maybe mm. just chill with the social media for a bit. Just relax. A lot of my clients say to me when I'm talking to them about SEO, they're worried about how they're going to find the time. And I remind them that, you know, how many hours are you spending on social media at the moment? And they're like, well, all of my time. And, you know, that's not your marketing of your business. You can't spend all your time on social media. Please don't spend all your time on social media. Stop it. Vets of the world, stop spending all of your time on bloody Instagram. Um, For our our vets, say it's like you work with indie businesses, right? Yeah. So I I like saying indie businesses or independent businesses. Generally, I work with quite small businesses that are either run by one person or a couple um, just because businesses who are bigger than that, they've got the budget to go and work with an agency or someone like that. I'm kind of more at those, the people that have a small, small budget, but want to see really amazing results. Plug, plug, plug. Plug, 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 plug. Everybody hire Brian. Um, And to to a vet or to a, we'll say like a really small independent vet practice, one practice manager, one vet, maybe like a nurse, maybe even, maybe even just one person, teeny, teeny, tiny. Uh, where do you start with SEO? What is SEO for like in total layman's terms for somebody who's doesn't know? Yeah. Okay. So SEO, and again, like I do often forget, you know, people, I'll have a conversation and at the end they'll say, but what does SEO stand for? Yeah. Um, so SEO is search engine optimization. So essentially it's helping your website rank higher in Google. So say, for example, someone has typed into Google vet in Glasgow, where does your business rank? Where do you show up in Google search results? Are you on the first page? Are you in the local pack, which is where the map is? Mm. Or are you not on the first page? You're on the second page or the third page. So first of all, the starting point is knowing where you actually rank and what you're ranking for. So you don't want to just rank for vet in Glasgow. There'll be other search terms as well. But having an idea of how you're currently doing is a good start. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so we got a few questions from some of our followers. Amazing. So we're going to go for John in Southampton. So he wants to know what the heck is Google Search Console and how do we use it? Great. So I love Google Search Console and it's recently been updated. So it has a whole new look to it. So Google Search Console is a free tool which Google gives to anyone who runs a website. So if you're the practice manager, the owner or the marketing manager, you can use Google Search Console for your website. Mm. 
And what Google Search Console tells you is what people have actually typed into Google to find your website. So when we were just talking there about, you know, are people typing in vets in Glasgow? Are they finding your website? Um, and if not, that won't show up as a query in Google Search Console. It also gives you information about if there's any issues on your website. So say like broken links or pages missing and things like that. So it's really useful tool to have set up. Okay, what is a broken link? So for example, if you had a page on your website and you deleted that page, you decided either that's like a service that you don't offer anymore or you were changing things around and you removed a link. So if you've not redirected people to another page, that will be a broken link. So say, for example, you took away your contact page mm -hmm. without redirecting them somewhere else, that will show up as a broken link. And that'll come up as like a 404 page. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so on to the next question, Sarah here in Glasgow wants to know, so is it really necessary to use Google Analytics? Um, She's a bit freaked out by Google Analytics, it would seem. But what, right, what yeah. would you say to I Sarah? Can, and I can totally understand. It can be overwhelming when you look in Google Analytics and see the amount of information that's in there. Um, so Google Analytics kind of tells the story in conjunction with Google Search Console. So Google Search Console is telling you about what people have typed into Google to find you. And then Google Analytics is telling you what they're actually doing while they're on your website. So what might be a good starting point for Sarah is to think about what she actually wants to know in terms of useful information. So things like, you know, you would want to know where people are geographically based. If you're a vet in Glasgow, but all your search traffic is, is from America, mm. there's something not quite right happening sure. there. Yep. Um, or even if it's from Edinburgh, again, there's something not quite right. Why people shouldn't be search, shouldn't people, people shouldn't be finding you if they're trying to find a vet that's in Edinburgh, sure. for example. Okay, yeah. Um, where people actually arrived on your website from. So have they come from social media? Have they come from Google? Have they come from another website, for example? Um, and then what they actually did. So what pages were they looking at? How long were they there? So thinking about what you would want to get out of Google Analytics and then delving in is a good strategy. Mm. The other thing to do is remember that there's good overview pages under each of the four categories. So you've got audience, acquisition, behavior, and conversions, mm -hmm. and each of those have a simple overview that you can just look at those pages. Yeah. And don't worry about delving okay. in too much until you feel more confident. Because starting out, that's pretty, that's enough kind of, isn't yeah. it, for you? Yeah. You get more professional, I suppose. Yeah. But there is a lot, like I love Google Analytics, like it's amazing the things yeah. that you can find. I always go straight to bounce rate. Yeah. Because yep. I'm always interested, like how how is my content really performing or people yeah. just bouncing off it because they're not yep. interested in it. Yeah. You know? um, so Sarah, we hope that helps you. Any follow-up questions, tweet us or whatever. Okay, so the next one, what is on-page SEO and how can I use it to make people find my vet practice? So on-page SEO refers to your website and how Google-friendly it is in terms of receiving search traffic. So if you think about it actually is in comparison to off-page SEO. So on-page is everything to do with your website and then off-page is to do with other websites sending traffic to you. Um, so making sure that you've got a kind of strategy to the content that's on your website, that you've planned it out in a logical way. So thinking about the kinds of services that you offer um, and matching up a keyword with a page on your website so say, for example, 
um, you offer puppy parties um, as a service and then people are typing into Google, you know, puppy parties Glasgow. Um, so obviously you would want that search traffic to go to that page of your website. Mm-hmm. Making sure that you use puppy parties as a search term, I should have picked something that was easier to say as an example. <laughs> <laughs> puppy parties. Puppy parties. <laughs> Using that in a natural quality way through that page of the website Mm -hmm. you don't want to go into spam territory you don't want to go overboard Mm -hmm. you just want to use it in a natural way that's going to be nice and readable for example in the title of the page in the url and probably in the first hundred words of that page that would all be totally natural obvious ways to use that as a search phrase um i was on a website this morning right (laughs) <laughs> I'm worried about this. <laughs> no, we'll keep it clean, right? But it was it was a specific service that I was looking for, mm. right? But it was like X in Edinburgh. And when you get X in Edinburgh, yeah. you will receive X in Edinburgh. And I was like, yeah. lads, that's kind of stuffing. Yeah, bit. oh yeah, exactly. And that's a very like outdated SEO strategy mm. was just putting the keywords everywhere you possibly could. I'm sure we've all seen websites that have them all down in the footer. Mm. And it's like plumbers in Glasgow, Glasgow plumbers, Newton Merns plumbers, plumbers yeah. in Gefnick. Yeah. And they've just gone wild with them. And maybe that was how SEO worked 10 years ago. But people know now that that's not the usual way of doing things. And more importantly, Google knows. Like, does it shove you down in ranking if you do, like, like I suppose, black hat SEO or, like, underhanded means, kind of, you know? Yeah, it's definitely not going to help you in the long term. Um, and you might notice a decline in your traffic, for example, if you try that kind of thing. So always thinking about quality first. And really, if you've got a website which has really high quality content that answers what people are looking for. So, you know, if a person has just got a puppy or has uh, questions about neutering or dental activities for their dog or other animals are available, um, you know, think about how you can create that really useful content for your website. But also thinking about, well, what makes your practice unique? Like what's your unique selling point? What sets you apart? Most of the websites that I looked at when I was Googling vet practices use stock photography, for example. Whereas I think if you had, you know, some photos of your actual patients um, featuring your staff and all of that kind of thing, really getting the feel of your practice across to people on your website, you know, that would be a really, really great start. That's really, really good advice. Yeah. Um, I know like the word authenticity is it's like a, a millennial buzzword that's just <laughs> thrown around our industry, I suppose. But it is, it's genuinely, yeah. it's the truth. You need to be um, authentic with your content. Yeah, exactly. And I think going to the vet most of the time is quite an emotional experience for the owner and obviously the animal. Um, so if you can kind of convey the feeling that you want your clients to have on your website when they come into the practice itself. You know, you want them to be calm, you want them to be reassured, you want them to feel like they're going to be taken care of um, and all of those things. If you can try and get that across on your website, I think that's a great, great start. Perfect. Um, What makes a really bad website? What are some key things that would you, if you looked at a website today, What are the things that kind of jump out at you as you shouldn't have done that, you could have done that better? Yeah, I think sometimes people will create their website 
they're in the in the mindset of either you know they've just started their business and they're quite excited or they've outsourced someone to create their website for them but they're almost too close to it they need someone independent to like take a look and say okay I've never looked at your website before and you know these are all the things that you could have on there um, because sometimes if it's your website you're looking at it every single day and you're not thinking of it from that fresh point of view of someone who's you know independent and detached mm-hmm. um so yeah, definitely having other people look at your website and giving you some feedback. There all are also tools which um, can record the traffic on your website so you can get some kind of real user experience. There's Mouseflow or there's Hotjar. Tools like that can be really useful. Um, and then some of the things that I often see, which I kind of you know would straight away be recommending to fix, is not having your business name, address and phone number you know, either in the footer of the website, you know, in the header, you know, somewhere that's really easy for people to find that information. If people are looking for a vet practice, they want to know where you are, you know, they they have to physically come to your business. So knowing where you are, knowing what your opening hours are, knowing what to do in case of emergency, all of those kinds of things that are going to be right at the front of people's minds when they land on your website, mm. knowing what kind of animals you can help with if someone has more unusual pets, lizards or something like that, okay. um, you know, can they come to you? So thinking of all of those kinds of things, you know, what are the questions at the top of people's minds? Do you answer those kinds of questions easily for people? Okay, so just make make everything really simple. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And Um, make navigation simple as well. Yeah, exactly. I think I recommend to people that their homepage should, you know, succinctly tell the story of their business. So giving an overview of everything that your business offers on the homepage, kind of telling that as a narrative so that when people get to the bottom of the page, they're like, yes, this is the business for me. A lot of the time nowadays, people are a bit lazy. They might not be interested in navigating all the pages of your website. So if they've landed on the homepage, they get the nice, warm, fuzzy feelings of like, oh, this is the practice for me. Look at how lovely their staff look. They're so friendly, so welcoming. Oh, they look after these kinds of animals. I can get this help with this particular question, you know, by the bottom of the page, they're going to be ready to either press, you know, book now if you have online booking or, you know, phone you to get in touch and make an appointment. Okay. Simplicity, I suppose. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah, we have so another question from uh, Danielle from the Liverpool Vets down in, you guessed it, Liverpool. So she was talking about the three pack and how to get into it. Yes. Which is a really good question that I didn't even think of. That is a really good question. You didn't even write that down. For me. I know because it came in this morning. Oh, Thanks, okay. Danielle. Um, so to get into the local pack, um, which is essentially the part of Google that shows a map and shows three businesses with their Google My Business ratings, um, obviously that is really premium real estate on Google. So to get in there, there isn't a particular magic formula. I wish I could just tell you, oh, you just tick this box and then you get featured in there. It's very competitive. It is going to be about the business businesses that rank highest on Google. Um, you want to have Google My Business set up. So um, in conjunction with Google Search Console, Google Analytics, 
Google My Business is another free tool and essentially it lets you manage your business presence on Google. And that's where your customers can leave ratings for your business as well. So perhaps thinking about how to include that in your like customer experience. If you have people, they come to the counter, they're paid for their vet appointment. Maybe you've got their email address. Maybe a week later you follow up and you say, hey, how is wee Joffrey going? Is he all recovered? Um, maybe if you were happy with our service, you could leave us a review on Google. Yeah, and people are quite happy to do that, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah. If you are really delivering, you know, that exceptional service and making them feel really well, really valued as a customer um, and, you know, you've taken great care of their pet, then there's nothing wrong with asking for a review. Absolutely. Um, do you have any tips for mailing lists? Like getting people on your mailing list. Yes. So definitely have a mailing list. I think it's a great thing to do. Think about maybe even having a mailing list which is segmented by pet type. Um, I think that would be a really valuable thing for vet practices to do so that when I was getting an email newsletter, it was about dog-specific information. Um, and really, as part of the kind of like onboarding process when you welcome a new patient into your practice, mm. you know, mentioning to them that that's really an added benefit of what they're getting from you. They're getting this, you know, monthly newsletter that you write that's about local issues, you know, whether it's about activities in the local park or, you know, uh, unfortunately in Glasgow, we've had a spate of, you know, poisoning activities and things left yeah, in the park and things like that. Awful, yeah. um, but thinking about ways that you can encourage people to get onto that mailing list and promoting it on social media as well is a really good thing to do. So even if they're not people who come to your practice, if your content is good enough, people will still be interested about being on your list. I will find you. What, um, what are some of your like key tips okay so if you had the opportunity to spread one message all around the world to literally every vet practice and every independent business that exists <laughs> what's like your one or two key tips well i was just gonna say cute animal pictures but I, uh, <laughs> obviously <laughs> that's what you've got so much of um i think really thinking about what sets your practice aside from anyone else and really trying to convey that on your website um you know, I myself have visited a number of different veterinary practices because we've got a dog. And um, I think really being able to kind of narrow down, you know, what do you want your USB to be? And, you know, what sets your practices aside? Um, really highlighting that on your website and on your social media, um, you know, including pictures of your your actual patients with their consent. Sure. And, you know, the staff and things like that. I think visuals of your business are so, so helpful to, you know, at the end of the day, it's human beings making decision the decision to come to your practice. And they themselves might be nervous. They're anxious. They're worried about their pet. They're trying to tell you, oh, Joffrey's just not been himself recently. And you don't want to feel like the vet's just going to tell you that you're being silly. Like, you know, you're trying to interpret for this little furry mm. beast that's on the table. Mm. So you want to be taken seriously. You want a vet that you trust and can really connect with. Yeah. Someone that, you know, has, you know, seen your dog from, you know, when you first got them to now and kind of remembers that that relationship. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of all the things that I value. Good tips. Good <laughs> tips. That was really good. Um, 
one question that I always love asking people about people in all kinds of industries like successful people I love hearing about people's morning routines podcast listeners are probably like does he ever answer does he ever ask any other questions apart from <laughs> morning routines but I just it's, amazing. it's really it's a selfish question because I like to hear about it um, what does your morning routine look like? I wish that I was a person that had like an amazing detailed morning routine I feel like mine is going to be com- completely dull but okay here we go right so I tend to wake up at about the same time every day, and that includes the weekend. It's not really by choice. I think when we got Joffrey as a puppy, like he was a very early morning dog, and then I think mm. that's just stuck with me. So I normally am up between like seven, half past seven, um, and so I would normally have breakfast, get myself ready. Um, because I'm a freelancer, I work from home, um, which I absolutely love. And so I will go and sit in an office and I'll normally work until about 10, 11. And then that's when Joffrey will come in and be like, let's go for a walk now. Um, so my mornings are kind of just, you know, eating my breakfast and doing some work. I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, don't look at your phone until lunchtime <laughs> and all of that kind of thing. I kind of just think, go with whatever routine suits you. Yeah. I have a coffee. I have yeah. my toast. Yeah. Um, Love a coffee in the morning. Such yeah. a coffee, man. I yeah. can't give it up, and I don't want to give it up. No, don't give it up. I'm trying give to give up. up the caffeinated beverage Coca-Cola, um, and replace it with with you coffee. Can't say Coca-Cola in the podcast. <laughs> no, other other soft drinks are available. Pepsi um, available too at a store near you. Don't drink Pepsi. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm in the process of replacing soft drinks with coffee. Okay, it's going really well. So just take your morning like a chilled morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm Don't stress yourself. No, I think because I think I've really, I'm now into year three of being a freelancer. And really the whole point of being a freelancer is setting my own routine, working the schedule that suits me. I split my day literally in half. In the morning, I work on one particular client and in the afternoon, I work on another. My admin stuff all comes in between that. So either that's first thing in the morning, lunchtime or in the evening. Um, Love going for a walk with Joffrey to kind of break up my day. It's really nice. He's very good working companion, sleeps a lot. Yeah. Um, I give him a wee whimsy once a day just as a wee treat. And, yeah, so I think, yeah, I'm I'm definitely not one of those people that's like, write 50 emails before 8 a.m. or anything like Mm -hmm. that, I think. Um, I think the other thing is because I have a chronic illness, which is Crohn's disease, I'm definitely, like, I've kind of got to this point that I'm like, this is what works for me. Mm. Um, And... Yeah, that's that's why I've kind of tailored things this way. Yeah. I don't schedule meetings before midday, which can make me sound like if I tell people that they think I'm just being a diva. But it's also for my health, you yeah. know. So um, I know when I work best and I know how I work best. And I think it's taken me 36 years to get to this point. Mm. But at the moment, I'm, I'm quite happy with how, how that's going. 100%. It's so clever. Just finding out what really works for you and just yeah. kind of rolling with that. Not forcing anything. Exactly. Well, you see all these YouTube videos about like how to get up before 5 a.m. and do yoga and cure cancer and do all these things. I try and yeah. do a little bit of that. I like, started yeah. the old like lemon water in the morning. Yeah. It's like some meditation if I can fit it in. But again, it's mainly I wake up and my partner's like, 
bring the dogs for a walk we have to feed them because they come first exactly <laughs> exactly and I think actually that it, it is really a benefit of having a dog I before we had a dog I always talked about oh we could go for walks and we could go to this and we could do this you know when you just don't do it and when you have a dog you kind of really do plan exercise activities and all of this kind of thing and we say oh let's yeah. take Joffrey to Conic Hill because he'll really like it okay. like he doesn't <laughs> care like <laughs> he's happy sleeping beside his mum it helps you get out and about and I think that's really good that's it um, who do you follow on social are you a fan of YouTube who do you watch on Instagram who are your who are, who are your loves of the internet right now well that's a very interesting question because um, I don't I don't really know how to answer that um, I really have had a big cull on social media recently, I have to say, particularly with Instagram. Um, my dog has his own Instagram and I found that I was using his profile a lot more because his feed, he only follows other dogs. What's his handle? Uh, Joffrey the dog. Okay, follow him. <laughs> so Joffrey only follows other dogs and a couple of select cats. Um, and so I found that I was spending time looking at his feed because I found it really relaxing. And then I realised my own Instagram should also be like that. So I unfollowed a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of famous people, famous people, okay. there is Fair someone points. that I do really love on social media. And it's because I just love everything about them. But it's Brené Brown. Oh, yeah. And she's an American um, speaker. She's just had a new Netflix uh, program released and she is amazing and she's really funny on Instagram as well. Um, it's a bit like I imagine following your mom on Instagram. But she's really she's really lovable. Yeah. She's really warm. Yeah. Um, she does post a lot of like motivational stuff and normally that's not my jam but she does it perfectly. Okay. Yeah. Not cheesy. No. No. Your feed should relax you. You should enjoy yeah. it and feel joy. Yeah. When you look at it, I feel like people are just going around following people, like yeah. models, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous people that they're like, oh, I wish I looked like I that. I know. And it really, like, I think in the business world as well, I think I speak to a lot of businesses that follow, like, their competitors and look at what their competitors are doing. And I think actually that can really get you into a bit of a spiral. Mm. It's not a positive feeling. You know, if you're looking at what they're doing and feeling like FOMO or, oh, I should be doing that and that makes me feel bad about my business, please stop following them. Please don't worry about what they're doing. And I think, like, for me, either I like as soon as I get bad vibes on Instagram, I either unfollow or I mute because you can't unfollow everyone because they'll know. Um, (laughs) But sometimes it's really just asking yourself, like, how is this person making me feel about myself and my life decisions? And if they're making you feel bad, don't, don't put yourself into that shame spiral of misery That's please it. why would you do that don't Stop do that to yourself it. only follow happy smiley yeah. things, and you will really notice it took me about a month and then I really noticed like how much of an impact that had been having on me mm. I was like oh I feel quite liberated it's lovely I'm not comparing myself to anybody <laughs> no anymore. but I think in business I don't really think that comparison brings out the best in you. I think if you try and create something that's unique to you and your business and really honing in on what's special about you and your business, that's where the magic happens. It doesn't happen from you trying to imitate someone else. That's it. You can't compare your page one to somebody else's page 106. Um, One final question. Mm. Mr. Jim Rohn, he said you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Well, my lovely husband, Mm -hmm. um, he is... 
book obsessed, vinyl obsessed, which is hilarious that we're now in here at LP Records because uh-huh. he's given me a list of things I have to buy on our way out. Okay. Um, it's very cool in here. Yeah, very it's cool. very cool. Love you. Thanks for having us, Lorenzo. Thanks, Lorenzo. Um, <laughs> yeah, so my husband, I spend a lot of time with him. Our dog. <laughs> He is very funny, gives me a lot of laughs. Amazing name, by the way. Yes. I mean, it's named after Game of Thrones, obviously. Um, I'm going to, this is really tough. You're making, I feel like I'm listing like my my best friends. Yeah. You have to choose five. Well, so I'm going to mention my best friend in Australia because she she took part in the, you know, the five questions thing. Um, But she is obviously in Australia, but Mm. she is amazing. Um, so shout out to you, Gemma. Um, that's three that I've listed so far, isn't it? My friend Charlotte. So Charlotte is a Charlotte is also a freelance digital marketer. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a great friend of mine, and she is like my little like, kind of like not co-pilot, but like I feel of her like I feel like she's like my colleague. Yeah. Like we chat most days on like Messenger or whatever, and she really helps me out a lot with like you know if I've got a question about freelancing or she's got a question we kind of go to each other um shout out to charlotte who is finishing her dissertation Hello, today charlotte. good work charlotte <gasps> amazing well done um oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh one more stay tuned next week when we find out who brian is first be like there was a really long pause because brian couldn't remember anyone <laughs> so the other person that i want to mention is my friend Lindsay. uh so Lindsay is a blogger she writes Lindsay loves uh which is a blog about all the things that Lindsay loves um she writes a lot about glasgow about vegetarian food about indie businesses she's an incredibly bright and colorful person if you follow her on instagram you will be able to see that um and i'm actually hanging out with Lindsay this afternoon so i'm very excited to see her um so yeah that's the five people oh gosh sorry to anyone that i've missed oh i've God. missed she clearly hates feel... the rest of you. <laughs> it's hard I feel to like five people isn't it i know and yeah. Pati- yeah that was that was intense i'm sorry okay well well done you did fantastically Bryony. how can people find out more about you what are your handles where can we go yep so you can check out my website which is brianycullen.com you can find me on instagram and twitter as glasgow underscore food my food blog is the glasgow food blog and yeah i would love to hear from anyone with any questions feel free to drop me an email hello at brianycullen.com or a message on any of those platforms and i do have a facebook business page as well um which i have just started to use so yeah cool brianie cullen thank you so much for joining me in the waiting room slash lp studios really really appreciate your time and uh we'll we'll catch up soon no Sounds doubt great thank you so much. we'll go for Amazing. a beer <laughs> thank you thanks brianie no worries